You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Well, that's just one story of, uh, of many that I can share with you tonight. And uh, God has been good to us. So we've been, we arrived in the country of Burkina Faso in December of 2004. We were, God had already directed our, our paths that way and directed us up to the country there. We just had to go a few months earlier than we were expecting. Civil war had broke back out on the Ivory Coast and we had to flee out of there on an Italian military aircraft. It was me and my wife and our two kids and they, they just kind of flew us out, dropped us off in Ghana with nothing and uh, we finally made our way up to Burkina Faso and then I finally, after a couple of weeks, flew back into the Ivory Coast and uh, packed all our stuff up and we, we moved up there. Uh, but while, when I moved up there, and there in December, I, I took my, I asked some of the missionaries there, I said, who's a good car mechanic? I needed some uh, car work done, and they, they pointed me to a direction, and, and uh, as a matter of fact, the, 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 this, this particular man was actually in some of the pictures that was there. I was talking about that village called Rungu, and so when we arrived uh, there, and my car needed some work, uh, went there, and, and he got done with the, fixing the car, and he asked me, he said, are you a missionary? And I said, I am a missionary, and I said, he said, well, what, where are you working? What are you doing? I said, I just got here. I said, I'm praying about where God uh, would open up the doors for us to start a work. He said, that's perfect because I've got a village about three and a half hours away and they need to hear about Jesus. And he said, I came to, to, the, to, the, to the town many years ago. He said, I don't know how to read and write. He says, I, I can't explain it very well. He said, I, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. He says, but I've tried to tell him a little bit and I can't. I said, and so I've been begging and asking missionaries to come and they all tell me they're too busy. And he said, will you come? And I said, I can't promise you a church, but I said, I'll promise you one thing. If you set up the time, we'll go and we'll preach uh, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to your people. And so we set up the time. This was in probably in January, maybe February. I think it was in January of 2005. And we went out there for the first time. And, and, and just about everybody, I guess, from the village just about came in. We had well over 200 people there that day gathered under a mango tree and uh, opened up the Word of God and preached. And a few of the ladies got saved that morning. The next, uh, the next uh, we started going there every other Saturday day and uh, it seemed like a few ladies got saved and finally I think it was on the third week a young man got saved and, and some of the uh, teenagers were, uh, shortly thereafter began to put their trust in Christ and, and the church was started there in that particular village. But the chief, he came that first day, and he also came back when we uh, had our, our, our building. And in one of our pictures, you saw our little building there. Uh, it's, it's pretty small. We'll pack them in there. And uh, kids are just, uh, like you saw in some of the pictures, they're just packed in everywhere. Uh, and so we'll, we'll squeeze about 100 or so people in those little buildings sometimes. Uh, but uh, the chief came that particular day, and, and we went out to see the chief at his, 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 his little house, his little hut, I guess I should say. And uh, we'd give the gospel there. And, and if we were in the area, and, and we were we were we were preaching uh, in his particular side of the village. He would come and he'd hear. So he probably heard the gospel message seven or eight times. And he would always say basically the same thing. We're so glad you're here. If you need anything, uh, we'll do our best to help you. And uh, just, uh, just, you know, just glad you're here. Glad that people have a place to go. Glad what God's doing. I'm glad to hear the testimonies of what's happening. And uh, he said, this is great. And so, uh, but he would never commit his life to accept Christ. And so in 2013, I believe it was, we heard that he was very sick. 
And we were there at, at the church, and, and he lives just a couple kilometers, a couple miles away from the church, and, and we wanted to go and talk to him, and, and we were figuring probably at this time would be our last chance to give him the gospel uh, before he passed away. And so when we showed up, he, he didn't have much strength left, and he couldn't hardly get up out of his seat, and his eyes had, had gotten very dim at this time. He couldn't see very well, but he was still in his right mind. We talked to him for a little bit and carried on conversation. They said he was over 100 years old. Don't know how how old he was, but he was well, well up into his years. And uh, as we gave him the gospel, and uh, for the next 30 or 40 minutes, he listened very intently, and then he started saying the same thing. We're so glad you're here, so glad what uh, what, what God's done, and, and this and that. And finally, one of our pastors went down and knelt ne- next to him and, and said, Chief, he said, you and I both know you don't have much longer here on this earth. He said, you said it's good for everybody else, but what about you? And the chief put his head down and began to think for about 10 seconds. And he picked his head up and he says, if it's good enough for them, then it's good enough for me. And uh, a few minutes later, he bowed his head. He accepted Christ as a Savior. Then he told me a story I'll never forget. He said, when I was a young man, he said, I became chief of this village. He said, I heard a, I heard a story or two that, that uh, there was uh, these men that would carry, about, or carry a book and they would open up that book and they would share stories out of that book and those stories they would share would change people's lives. And he said, when I was just a new chief there, and he said, I looked up into the heavens and I would say, God, would you send a man with the book? Amen. He said, but years passed by and the book never came. He said, and then you showed up and uh, he said, you got out of your vehicle and you, you came and you greeted all of us. And then you went back to your vehicle and he said, then you brought out the book. He said, you opened up the book and you began to tell us stories out about, uh, from the book. And you told us a story about, about, about a man named the name of Jesus. And he said, Jesus changed other people's lives in this village. And today Jesus changed my life. Amen. Praise God. And just uh, such a privilege that God would allow us to go to places where they've never even heard the name of Jesus. No one's proclaimed Jesus in that they don't have a radio. They don't have a church. They, they, they don't have a, a, someone t- passing out a track anywhere in their community. Uh, there's village after village after village that they don't, they don't know about Jesus. I mean, they don't have an opportunity even to hear. And God's allowed us to go into many of those villages and praise God, start some churches and pray for us. We've got a great, great burden. And uh, to evangelize Burkina Faso will not take a few more churches. It's not going to even take us a few more hundred churches. It's literally going to take us about thousands of churches in order to do the job. And uh, I've said this, last furlough I was there and and my pastors, we've been praying that God will allow us to see over a thousand churches started. Now people have always told me I've been crazy. I've been you know, I've always been kind of that way. I guess I've been a dreamer for a long time. And and, uh, when I, before I was saved, I dreamed big for the world. And after I got saved, I started dreaming big for God. I just think we've got a great big God in heaven. And if the great big God of heaven wants to do something, praise God, I hope He'll do it with me. Yes. Amen. Amen. You know, we read about stories of the old uh, William Carey, and we read stories about Adirond Judson, and we David Livingston, and, and I love reading those stories. But we don't always have to read a story about how God worked in the past. God can work in us today. And God can do a great work, and and uh, and God's just been so good. God's allowed us either either my family and I, or one of the men we've trained to start seventeen churches there in Burkina Faso. And somebody said, I was telling you, I was saying this. The a pastor last furlough came up to me and said, "Do you really believe you can start a thousand churches?" I said, "I said, Pastor, I've never even started one church." 
I said, God started all of them. And if God wants to start a thousand, He can. I don't start a church. God starts them. I don't save a soul. God saves them. I don't call someone to preach. God calls them to preach. God does what He wants to do. But I'm glad, sure am glad God didn't call the angels to come down and do the work. I sure am glad that God didn't find another way. God could. He could write the, he could write the gospel in the sky. He could thunder His voice down from heaven. But God gave me and you an opportunity to take the gospel to the world. It's a great privilege to take the gospel of the world tonight. And uh, I just privileged and thrilled uh, with the opportunity. So uh, we started two Bible colleges. One's in a local language, and that's called Moray. And so we, we, we teach and we preach in that language. Uh, and, uh, and we've also got a Bible college there in French. And, uh, and so we've, God's been good. We've got about 10 students in each Bible college currently. Uh, and so we're just we're thrilled about what God's doing. Uh, just uh, was, we've been praying about it. And I thought they were going to hear, I was going to hear some news and hadn't heard any. Uh, but one of the young men that uh, graduated uh, a few months back had been in, in our church for quite a while. And I thought he was going to be starting a new work pretty soon, but I hadn't heard anyone talk about it. So I wrote one of the pastors the other day. I said, well, what's your, what's your plan? And he wrote me back and says, Pastor, you need to call me. And I guess they've been going out to the village uh, where he's wanting to start a work. And they've already started Bible study and discipleship there before they've even started the church. I think they've already got some that have been given their hearts and lives and accepted Christ as their Savior. And so it's thrilling always to see God uh, beginning to start up and start another work that can preach, another light that can shine for Jesus. Amen. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor and a blessing. Uh, I want to mention to you, I, I brought this little thing. I got this actually from Brother James Ruckman. He said he used it. Uh, Brother James Ruckman, uh, one time he asked me and, and uh, he says, I want to raise some money for you. I've never had another missionary ever say that to me. I said, well, I praise the Lord. If you want to raise it, I want to raise money for one church building. I said, okay. And so with this little building that he had, and uh, I was with him last night, he, he said, that's the building that I used and we raised fifteen thousand dollars if with that through that through that little building. And uh, he said, why don't you take it and use it for your camp? And so I'm going to share with you a little bit of camp. We uh, started a camp about ten years ago, and we started with less than thirty. And uh, last year we had over 175. They're going to be running camp in two weeks. Uh, without me, I bet they'll probably have close to 200 this year. Uh, camp continues to grow, and, and we want to have children's camps, but we don't really have the place to do it. Uh, even the place we do it in, it's not the best. It's okay, it works, but it, it, we're, we're, out, we're growing too big for that. And, and uh, we rent out of school, and uh, we have pastor's camps, but we're getting, we're getting too big for that. And, and we want to do conferences. We've, never, we've, always, we've done couples meetings, but we've never done couples retreats. We literally don't have anywhere to do a couple's retreat in the country. It's not like we can just rent out a, a nice little conference center and do what we can. And so we're, we, we've been burdened. I've been praying about it for a number of years and, and uh, didn't want to mention it. And a matter of fact, I haven't even written it on Facebook, haven't put it on, 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 on my prayer letter yet. Uh, we just started mentioning it in a couple churches. Uh, but God's already raised uh, 8500 of the needed 150000 I don't know exactly how much it's going to be. 150 is probably the little bit of low mark, uh, but that will help us to get started very well. Uh, we need to build some dorm rooms. We need to build a, a place, a, a temple, I guess a, a kind of church, and, and we need to build a, a kitchen and all the other things. And, and uh, when we talk about starting hundreds of churches, I think this, this, this piece of land, that uh, this camp land, is going to be one great piece of the puzzle in order to do that. 
Uh, and so pray for us in that need. And so I'm, I'm going to just put this on the back, maybe the back table tonight. If anyone wants to put anything in there in that for camp, that will be going 100% to camp. Uh, and so 8,500, uh, was that 8,000? And then Pastor Ruckman this morning gave me a check for $500 from their church. And so that put us at about 8,500. And so we praise God for that. So I, I was thinking about that. That, that takes, if, it takes uh, uh, a thousand. I guess we, in order, if, you, if someone would give about a thousand dollars, it'd take about 141 more people or churches at a thousand dollars and a need would be met. Uh, or maybe even it's a hundred dollars. Uh, we think about 1,415. Uh, the one area of missions I don't like to talk about is money. I never like to talk about it. Uh, but I had a friend of mine, a businessman friend of mine, he said one time, he says, Keith, he says, I'm going to give and I'm going to give to missions and I'm going to give to projects. But if you don't ever mention it, I don't know where to give. And so he said, the Bible said to ask and you shall, you shall receive. And so uh, it's not for us. It's for camp. It's for the ministry. It's for over there. It's for to see uh, young men and young women changed uh, through the preaching of the word of God. Couples strengthened. Pastors strengthened. Uh, conferences being held uh, as we try and, and, and do more of, of work there in Burkina Faso. And so we just thank the Lord for what he's doing there. Well, you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14. And uh, uh, since Pastor Haley's not in a coat tonight, I think I'm going to take mine off also. And uh, you get into some churches that one church, it was a Sunday night, and uh, we were traveling. And so I told the boys, don't worry about it, just, just be in a polo shirt tonight. And I tell you what, Pastor Haley, I've not been in a church where even the little bitty guys were in a shirt and a tie. And we walked in and all the towns like, oh man. I said, I wish somebody would have warned me. I mean, they were decked out. I mean, it was a church of packed in there. Uh, it, was, it was about as big as this place, but oh, there's a couple hundred people there and, and all. But uh, we praise the Lord for uh, what he's doing there. Praise the Lord for what he's doing here uh, in this church. Amen. And uh, I've known your pastor. I met him for the first time. I think it was probably 2000. Wow. And uh, we were kind of on debutation. I started just a little bit before he did. And then he started, and uh, but uh, he has been very faithful, uh, and, and God has used him greatly here uh, to start one church and start this church, and uh, it's always exciting to see what God's done. He was explaining to me about some of the young men called to preach. Uh, I saw the excitement of, on the on the uh, in the hearts and lives of you tonight as you sang and, and worshipped and uh, you praised God tonight, and that's a great what a great privilege that is. Matthew chapter number fourteen. I, uh, this is a message that I probably have I preached it a lot, and uh, and so my my wife's probably tired of hearing it by now, and so I I have not preached it yet on furlough. Since I've been back this time, I keep saying I'm not going to preach it, but I really feel the Lord wants us Amen. to go there tonight. And so uh, I'll have to ask forgiveness for my wife later, but I don't want to have to ask forgiveness for God when God tells me to preach the message. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter number 14 and verse number 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, but when the ship was now in the midst of the sea, uh, mist of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was, was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when his disciples saw him uh, walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying to the spirit, and they cried out for fear. Now, I, sometimes if we're, not, if we're not careful, we'll read these stories and we can be very, very critical for, uh, uh, of those that are in the middle of these stories. But to be honest, if we'd be right in the middle of the same story, we'd act just like they would. 
And uh, I mean, can you imagine here you are in a ship in the middle of the night, you're scared, you don't know what's going to happen, you might drown, you might die, and all of a sudden you see someone walking on the water, something you've never seen before. I think we would start crying out for fear. And uh, I remember sometimes, sometimes I go out into villages, literally I go out into villages where they have never seen a white man. Go into that quite often. And so sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes the, the kids will, will look at you from afar off. And sometimes they're very curious and they'll come at you. And, uh, and before long they'll, they'll, they'll be around you and they'll be touching you and touching your hair and everything else. But there's others when they see you, they like freeze. And the more closer you get, all of a sudden they go, ah! And they turn and run. And so uh, I guess that's maybe what these disciples were like. I, I got into a, in the Ivory Coast one day, I was on visitation, and I knocked on a door, and they asked, they said, come in. So I opened up the door, and I walked in, and as soon as I walked in, and, and this was in the city, though, but this little kid started screaming. I mean, just, ah! And everybody in the family is just laughing. There's probably about 15 of them. They're laughing and laughing and laughing. And, uh, and his brother grabs him and is trying to pull him too, man. He's doing everything to fight to run back in the house. And I was kind of, it's not like it was in the village. I know he's seen a white person before. And uh, I said, well, what in the world is going on? And they said, the funny thing is, just a little bit ago, we were, he was being very bad. And so we told him, we said, we're going to go find a white man to get you and eat you. <laughs> and they, they thought the white man had come to eat him. <laughs> so... Uh, they, 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 they say that sometimes, it's kind of funny. But uh, so we just had a good laugh. That little boy was not laughing. <laughs> he thought it was the end of his, of his life. Uh, but here they are, they're, they're fearful, they're, they're troubled, and they're, 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 they're in the sea. But I always like what, what Jesus said here. But straightway Jesus spake up, uh, spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, as I be not afraid. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It can be troubles, it can be trials, it can be health, it can be family problems, it can be financial problems, it can be work problems, it can be who knows what kind of problem. But praise the Lord, if we're saved by the grace of God, we've got Jesus with us. And he says right here, be not afraid. In spite of the storm, in spite of the problems, he said, I'm with you and I'm here with you. And thank God he's with us through it all. Now, I, I was thinking about this and, and just there with, I was with Pastor Ruckman there and, and, and there at Falls International Baptist Church. And, and, and he's got people from all over. A lot, a lot of the people, most of them are, that is going to the church, a lot of them are, are from Africa, different countries of Africa. And uh, here in America we have it, but over there we have it probably even a little bit stronger as the prosperity gospel. And uh, so they come to church not always just to praise Jesus. They go to church trying to get their miracle, trying to get prosperous. And, uh, and so a lot of them get discouraged and leave and, and different things. But uh, so it gets preached all the time. If you come to Jesus, you'll have no more problems. We don't find that in the Bible. No, that's right. But I do praise the Lord for one point. When we get saved with the grace of God, He never said we won't have any problems. But he did say he would never forsake us nor leave us and he'll be with us. Amen. Just like this right here. He's with them. And uh, in all, in verse number 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto unto thee on the water. And And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So I titled this message simply, Will you ever walk on the water? I was a young Christian back in 1995 and I just had gotten saved by the grace of God and, and uh, we had a, 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 
evangelist that had come to our church and, and then he was preaching in another church. And, and so when he's preaching in that other church in our town, I, I went there every night to hear him. And he preached uh, all the way from Sunday all the way through Friday on the life of Peter. It was a great, great message, great series. But uh, he got to this passage and, and uh, he was very critical of Peter. And why was he critical? I guess we'll, we'll read on. If you've, most of you probably have read the story know what happened. But look at what happened. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And so he was, he, was, he was saying and using the illustration that Peter lost. He had a little faith and what God could do if he had a great faith. And, and uh, when I began, and I was just a new Christian, but the, the thought came in my mind, why are we criticizing Peter? He's the only one that got out of the boat. Amen. Do you understand that? Yeah. We're going to say Peter began to sink, but who walked on the water? It was Peter. Amen. Now, we sometimes, uh, and maybe Pastor Haley doesn't have the same issues that I have, but uh, sometimes we stand up behind the pulpit and, and we act like, man, God told me this and everything's good and everything's fine. And then sometimes you turn and you're like, Lord, you're going to have to help me with that. And, uh, and so you stand up like you're confident and sometimes you've got the doubts in your own heart. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, if, we're, if we'd be honest tonight, we're a whole lot like Peter. When I read about Peter's life, I, I'm a whole lot by Peter. But, but I got that question. Why did Peter walk on the water? Why, why did Peter walk on the water? I've got three thoughts right here. I almost shared them just, just a minute ago. But why did he walk on the water? Number one, he was willing to get out of the ship. Amen. Did you hear that? He was willing to get out of the boat. You want to know why most people never really get used by God? They're not willing to get out of the boat. Right. Right. They're happy they're in. They're in the ship. They're going from one side to the other. They're going to get from one side to the other. They're not going to get out. Their family's in it. They don't want to be moved. They don't want to, they don't want to do anything extra. That really, what has happened in most of our churches, our churches have become a spectator sport. God never intended the church house to be a spectator sport. That's for football. That's for basketball. That's for baseball. That's for hockey. That's for other sports. But that's not for Christianity. That's not for the church. God intended everybody in the church to have a part. He said from the least to the greatest. And matter of fact, when we think about the least, I ask my, I ask my members sometimes when we're talking about the body of Christ there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, I, I begin to ask them, I say, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up a knife and I'll say, and I'll get somebody and I'll say, what member do you want me to cut off? <laughs> what member do you want cut off? The answer is always the same. None. <laughs> Doesn't matter how small or insignificant we think it is, we like them all. I'm going to cut off your ear, your nose, your toe, your finger. No, you don't use your pinky finger a whole lot. I tell them that. I said, you don't use your pinky finger a whole lot. You want me to cut that off? You still got four left on that one side. Who wants that? We don't want that. Right. We like them. They're our members. <laughs> and so from the least to the greatest, yeah. they're all needed. Amen. And so tonight... And I think it was one of the greatest lies that the devil has ever proclaimed. I, I, I actually think this, and I'm not saying this in a good way, but the, the devil is doing a great job in the job he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very terrible job yes. that he's doing, yeah. but he's very good at it. Yeah. He has spread lies. 
He has made members of churches think, oh, that's the pastor's job. Oh, that's a few people's job. Oh, they've got a whole lot more talents than I do. They can sing better than I can. And so I'll just sit back and I'll do nothing. It's not what God wanted us to do. God wants us to all be active and to be used and to step out of the boat. He was willing. I was thinking about, I was thinking about Pastor Salif. You got to see some of Pastor Salif's testimony. Uh, his, his father uh, call, called him as a young man, wanted him to be an imam. He trained for years to be an imam. But I'll tell you what, the Heavenly Father had another plan. The Heavenly Father called him to preach the gospel. Amen. I was with Pastor Salif, and, and, uh, and there he got saved in 2004, just like a month or two. I'm not sure exactly how many, right before we moved up to Burkina Faso. Salif had been with my family for, for two years, faithful. We, had became, we, we, we became close. And, and so when we were moving out to Burkina Faso, I said, Salif, do you want to go with us? He said, I'd love to go with you guys. I said, you're, you're, you're my guard at the house, and, and uh, I'll need a guard once I get up there. You can keep working the job. And, and, uh, and I said, we'd love to have you. He said, I'll, I'll come with you. I said, okay, great. And so he traveled up there with me when we went, to the, we went to, up to Burkina Faso. And uh, I had him, the other guard that was working too at the house, I, I, I had him, I, he, was a, he was a Catholic. I sat down with him with the Bible and shared the, the gospel for about over an hour. And he said, man, he said, I've let, I've let other people in the Catholic church, but I've never heard stuff what you're teaching us. And he bowed his head and he trusted Christ right then. Amen. Now he's pastor in a church. Amen. Amen. And, uh, but uh, I, was, I was Salif, and the other guy's name is Simon, Simon, Simon Peter, I guess Simon, Simon. And then we had another young guy who came up with, the, with Burkina Faso, but he turned out to be a, uh, I don't know, I can't know if I say an apostate, but I mean, he, just, he was supposed to help me in the work, and he destroyed our works when we were on furlough. Uh, but uh, uh, so I, I would share, we'd be in my living room, this is before we even started the church, and I'd say, we've got a city of about a million, a million and a half, maybe two million people. And I said, I said, literally, in order for us to evangelize this city, we probably need 40 churches. And uh, they just all look at me kind of like this. I didn't know what they were thinking. And this was probably about six years later. Pastor Salif is standing up and he's preaching. And he says, he says Pastor, I don't even know if he remembers this, but we were in his living room and it was just about three of us. And, uh, and he's talking about starting 40 churches. And he said, he said me and Simone and, and the other guy, Wetson, we'd get to talking to one another and we'd say, man, we haven't even started. We don't even go to one church yet. How are we going to start 40? But he said, tonight I believe if Pastor said we were going to start 400, I believe God can do it. Yes. <laughs> Amen. In Salif the other day, and, and where Salif is, he lives in a city called Pisila. Oh, I'm telling you, the ministry, pray for the ministry there. I don't know if you've seen on the news uh, some of the things that are going on there in West Africa. Terrorism is, is, is coming in. They're calling that the new ISIS, that whole area. They're trying to take over West Africa. They've taken up the northern part of Burkina Faso, the eastern part of Burkina Faso, and uh, it's gotten very dangerous. Salif's kind of right on the edge of that mess. They've already ran the police out of his town. Uh, They've already came in and burnt down two bars. Uh, they've not yet threatened a church there, uh, but they, they, they've actually they've actually are running out of people out of the schools. The teachers are stopping to teach. Uh, I mean, it's just becoming a mess in that area. But he's still preaching the gospel. But Salif, about a year ago, 
We are sitting there with Salif, and sometimes I go out there and I teach in the Bible college, and, and I'll just, well, I always say one of the best, greatest ministry tools that I have, of course, is the Bible. Uh, but uh, outside of my vehicle that gets me there, sometimes the, the one of my greatest other ministry tools is an air mattress. And with that, you can pump it up and sleep just about anywhere. And I guess I could sleep on the ground, but I, I like my air mattress. And so I pump it up, sleep under the stars all the time, and, and love it. And, and uh, so I'll spend days out there with them. But one night I said, what do you want us to pray about tonight? And he said, Pastor, he said, we are the market town for about 60 villages. He said, God has been good to us. We've already started, we've started four works in four villages. He says, but there's, he says, there's, 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 50, or, there's 50 or more uh, that still need a church. Pray that God will allow us to start a church in every village. Now, sometimes people say, man, you think you can really do that kind of stuff? Can you imagine maybe the disciples, as Peter began to step out of the boat, they'd say, Peter, are you really sure that's even Jesus on that call, told you to come? Are you really sure you can walk on the water? <laughs> you know, sometimes a, a guy like Salif, people will look at him and say, do you really think you can start 60 churches? No, he can't start 60 churches, but God can. And God can do it through him. Right. I, I, I realize this as a, as a, as a, as a young Christian as a young preacher, as a young missionary, God taught me a very important lesson. He taught me it's not what I can do for Him, but it's what He can do through me. And tonight it's not what you can do for God, but it's what God can do through you. And there's a whole lot of difference between those two things. There's quite often, and I don't know if pastor has the same uh, thought or not, and, or the same thing that happens sometimes, but sometimes it seems like, it seems like uh, I want to do something, and there's nothing wrong with what we're wanting to do, and we're wanting to advance, we're wanting to go ahead, and, and I try and uh, sometimes with my, my whole effort, my whole, whole, whole thought process, but sometimes I didn't put a whole lot of prayer in it. Yeah. Sometimes I really didn't say, God, you're going to have to do it. You know what happens? A lot of times nothing happens. Then I get down on my knees and I say, God, you know we've tried for the last few weeks, the last few months to do this and that, and it's not working. God, I, God I'm just about ready to give up on it, but I'm coming to you and saying, God, you're going to have to do it. And you know what happens? Just like that half the time, God does it. You know what he shows me? It's not you. It's just me. But I want to do it through you. God's looking for willing vessels. That's what he's looking for. Are you a willing vessel tonight? Are you willing to let the God of heaven use your life? You can say, well, I don't have a whole lot of talents. I'm not very educated. I'm not very smart. I'm not very... Hey, just join the crowd. Me and Pastor Haley were talking about this. I don't know if Pastor Haley's got what I've got. I didn't know I even had it. But, uh, but when, I, when, when I was growing up, my mom took me to some doctors. I didn't know what she took me to the doctors for, but they did some things. And, and she never told me about it. I went through that. I, I graduated college and uh, was driving around a deputation. I was listening to the radio. And, and there was 10. There was, a, there was this, you know, you're flipping the radios as you're going through. And uh, I heard this. And I don't know why I stopped there. But these doctors talking about attention deficit disorder. <laughs> And they said, you might have attention deficit order if one of these ten things. And I was like, one, check, two, check, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, two, check. Picked up the phone and said, called my mom. I said, mom, I said, I think I've got attention deficit order. She goes, yeah, you do. <laughs> she said, I never wanted you to use it as an excuse. That's right. Amen. That's good. We didn't put you on medicine. We didn't want you to use it as an excuse. <laughs> but my sister, my, my, my brother... He never tried in school and was probably an A-B student. Never tried. 
until he got to college. He, he's, a, he's like a computer programmer wizard. I mean, he is. He programs. He's done programs for the U.S. government, U.S. military. He does those kind of things. He knows how to do all those kind of things. Then my sister came along. And my sister, she was of her class of over 500 valedictorian in high school. 4.0, straight A student. Went up, she's a veterinarian. She's specialized dermatology veterinarian. I didn't realize this. It's harder to be a vet than it is to be a medical doctor. Well, if you know that, but it is a lot harder. They don't have near as many schools. In order to get one of their schools, it's tough. When you go to college, you almost have a half, you almost have a half straight A's in college in order to get in. And she got in. And I'm telling you, she, she's just book smart left and right. My uncle called it the drip-drip syndrome. He said my brother took most of it, but he didn't want all of it. So he left it, some of it for my sister. And then there wasn't much left for me. <laughs> but man, I, I, growing up, it was like, man, I tried to do good in school. But it was like I just was an average student. My sister's number one and I'm number, I don't know. I always joke around. I said I was the top 10% of the bottom one-third. <laughs> That's, that's where I was. <laughs> so, I just, school was school was a struggle. And my mom said this when I when I I'm, I'm sharing this with you because sometimes there's people. I, still to this day, I'll pick up my Bible and I'll be reading the Bible and I'll start at verse one and I'll read verse one, two, three, four, and five and I'll think I'll stop and think. Do you even remember what one thing you read? No, oh, man. And I'll be like, okay, concentrate. And it's a battle. Just to this day, it's a fight. Amen. There's these other guys. A couple of missionary friends of mine. There's about, there about 20 of them or so. They all decided they were going to take a reading test to find out how fast they could read and how great their comprehension was. And I was like, I'm not taking that test. I don't know why I did. They took it. Most of them were like three, 400 words per minute, 100% comprehension. A couple of them were 900 words per minute, 100% comprehension. How can you read that? Fast? I don't know. So here I am. I said, I'm going to take the test. I'm going to try it just to see. But now I'm concentrating extra hard because I really want to do good on this. And so when I got done, 150 words in the lowest comprehension of all those missionaries. That's where I was. You know, God's not looking for our talents tonight. God's looking for someone that's available. Who will say, I'm here. God, use me. Use my life. I don't have a whole lot to offer you. But what I have to offer you, it's all yours. That little boy that took his lunch and gave it to Jesus. I don't find this necessarily in the scriptures, but it always, in the back of my head, I always think, was he absolutely the only one that had something Surely to goodness, out of 5,000 men beside the women and children, why is there just one child that has something? I think he's probably the only one that was willing to give it up. I think someone else probably had something. Are you willing tonight? Pastor Salif, I mean, he didn't go to school. He didn't learn ABCs when he was a kid. One, two, threes. He didn't learn how to read and write in a language. My wife taught him how to read. And right. At the age of about 26 or 27, he started learning how to read and write. He still doesn't write real well. But I'll tell you what, he stands up and he preaches the gospel. He's willing. I, I have visitors come over sometimes and they'll visit us and we'd always go out to the village. And I usually take the visitors out one night in the village. They, they do well with that. 
and one night it's fun. But I've always, always been like, I don't know if I'm going to do two or three with them. Because most of the time, by, by the time, I mean, there's no running water. Uh, there's no privacy. There's no bathrooms. Uh, there's no nothing out there. I mean, uh, and so that's just the way it is. And so, but there was a group of guys that said, we want to go out to the village and stay a few days with you. I said, if you're sure, we'll, we'll do it. And so we went out for about six days. And, man, we had a great time. But we just so happened we were going from village to village and we'd sleep at wherever we were at. We'd sleep there and under the stars and, and we came back to the city called Pisila. It's just a small city. It's, 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 I mean, it's almost like a big village, really. Uh, but we're just, we're sitting there and, and, uh, and, and, and Salif, every morning he would bring us some of our bread or, or whatever we were eating that morning. He'd bring it, and he'd bring it that mor- morning and we'd eat together. Well, Saturday night we were in a small village about two miles away. Uh, that he's wanting to start a church in, but it was close enough where the people could kind of walk. But that particular su- uh, Sunday morning, I look out on the table and I realize that our bread's already on the table. I'm like, where's Pastor Salif? not here. I said, well, we'll wait for just a few minutes. A few minutes went by and I looked out at the clock. I said, man, we're going to start service and we're not going to be done eating. I told all the other Americans, we're going to have to eat and, and I don't want to eat with Pastor Salif, but I don't know where he's at. So we started eating. He still didn't show up. We're done. We're cleaning up. He didn't still shouldn't show up. And when we're putting the last bit of stuff in, I see Pastor Salif walking with about 35 people from the village coming to church that morning. He had to take care of us. Didn't even stop to eat and take his bread and his coffee. He took off walking while we sat there and ate. And he went from hut to hut to hut and said, I'm going to church. Anyone want to walk with me? Want to walk with me? And they followed him. You want to know why he's doing a work for God? Because he's working hard and God blesses. A lot of young missionaries and pastors and preachers, they'll ask me, say, what's the secret to the ministry? And uh, I'll tell, especially missionaries, I'll tell them this. I said, I'm not taken away from the side of God by any means. But I believe God's always faithful on his side. I said, but there's two things that I'll say is very important. Number one, you're going to have to stay. A lot of missionaries want to go and they want to do something in two. They want, they want to have something in one year uh, that took another missionary years to get. They always want to find a shortcut. I always want to find a shortcut. I want to find a shortcut to my training. I want to find a shortcut to the field. I want to find a shortcut to winning. I want to find a shortcut to training a man to, to preach the gospel. There are no shortcuts really in the ministry. And if there are shortcuts, they usually don't work out very well. And the one, you're going to have to work hard. I believe God blesses work. I believe that. There's a, there's a fr- friend of mine. He's, he was a businessman there in, in South Carolina. He, he took a church uh, in South Carolina, grew it real big. And a church in Arizona heard about him that was about to close its doors. He went out there. He's, I don't know. He's running like seven or 800. He came and visited me for a couple days. Just a couple days. He was taking a, a tour of many places. But he, I asked him this question. I said, you've been all over the world. Now, he's, been, he's traveled, I don't know how many countries, all kinds of countries. I said, you've been all over the world. You know, all kinds of missionaries, pastors. I said, what's the difference between one that's successful and that one that's not? And, uh, you know, I was trying to get him to give him a little bit of time to think about it. And he said, that's easy. He didn't hesitate. He said, those that work hard. That's what he said. I shared with this with, with the church the other night. I, and another missionary shared this with me. And so what I'm giving you, it's, it's just there. He, he said, we're responsible for the process. And God's responsible for the product. Amen. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. We're, think about passing out a track. If I go pass out a track, that's the process. 
That's what I'm supposed to do. If I pass out that track, that gives God an opportunity to work. I can't save that soul, but God can save the soul. I can't, all I can do is set up the discipleship time. I can't force that young man to study. I can't force that young man to to, uh, read his Bible and to memorize verses. I can't can't force a man to to go out and preach the gospel. But I tell you, God can. But I can do all that I can to train everyone that I can. Are you willing to let God use your life? Peter was willing to get out of the boat. (laughs) Point number two. Right here it says that Peter had a little faith. Sometimes we'll hear about these men with great faith, but I don't know if we really have that many men with great faith. Honestly, it took a little faith to walk on the water. Point number two, what was it? Why did he walk on the water? He had a little faith. Hey. It got him out of the boat. He faltered along the way, and we'll do the same thing. We'll falter, and sometimes we'll think back and think, oh my, what did I do? One of our church buildings, the church that I just left, Living Water Baptist Church, uh, back in 2007, we had fasted and prayed, and, and God gave us a piece of land in town. And, and uh, we had a church that was on the outskirts, but we wanted one more in town, and, and we wanted that to be the kickoff of, of kind of the ministry. And, and uh, me and my wife had spent a number of days fasting and praying, and God gave us a piece of land, and uh, we, we, we got that. And then uh, I went and, and found out an architect and he drew up some plans and he, and he said, what do you want? I said, I want a few classrooms for Sunday school. I, I want a section for the church. And I told him what I wanted. And, uh, you know, these architects, man, they, 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 they always want to design big. I didn't realize that. And so he gives me these plans and I look at them. I'm like, man, that's a beautiful building. And so I get back home and I lay these plans out on, on, on the table. And my wife looks at me and says, man, that's beautiful. When are we starting? I said, we can't do that. I said, that's just too big. That's just too much. And my wife lovingly rebuked me. She didn't do it in a bad way. She said, we prayed and fasted for it. And we've been talking about this being the hub of the ministry. And uh, she said, she said don't, you think, don't you think God can do it? And the next few days I was praying about it. And, I, and finally it was like God said, do it. So, man, we started and uh, we started and got the foundation done. Our, our church people worked hard. We dug the foundation of that building. It took us four weeks to dig the foundation. I mean, the ground is hard. It's rocky. I mean, we did it with picks and shovels. Four weeks. We dug it. We got the foundation done. There's only one good thing about a foundation. It looks like you did something. But that's about all it's good for. And so I got to thinking, here's me of little faith. I got to thinking in the middle of it, man, they're going to come by here after a couple of months, a couple of years. They're going to look at this and say, man, that guy thought he could do it and he couldn't even finish it. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> God finished it. Amen. I was praying and I said, God, you're going to have to help us with this. And one man wrote me a, wrote me an email and he said, he said, uh, I saw the email about you finishing out the bottom floor. He said, well, how much, not the doors, the windows, but how much will it cost to do the bottom floor? I said, I think it's going to cost us about 30000 for that particular bottom floor. 
And uh, he said, okay. And he wrote me an email back the next day, and he said, uh, 30,000 is in the mail. Brother Haley, I, you know what, I looked at that, and I thought, did he mean to write 3,000? Yeah. Here, here, you know, my little faith here, you know. Did he mean to write 3,000? So I waited a few days, and I called Macedonia, and I said, uh, I was expecting a, a check maybe to come in. Is that come in? And they said, yeah, that came in. He says, Miss Robin, I think it was, said, it's a big one. I said, man, how big? She goes, 30,000. I said, praise God. <laughs> and, uh, but that, God helped us throughout that. And the, and the church people, man, I'm telling you, they worked hard. They, they, did, they, they made, a lot, made a lot of the blocks themselves and, and all that other stuff. But, I mean, sometimes it's just a little faith. Sometimes we imagine that uh, our Christian walk is a big step. But it's really not all that big. It's a whole bunch of baby steps. Yeah. One thing I try to do when I get back to, to the States is I try. I, the one furlough about 2010, I got back and, man, I'm telling you, you're on furlough and you haven't eaten good pizza or at the house. But, you know, here you pop up John's and Pizza Hut and everything. And it's like you eat it and you get bigger and bigger and bigger. So... Next fall, I was like, I'm going to run. And I hadn't ran in years. And so I didn't run because I liked to. I ran because I wanted to eat. <laughs> and so I'm running. And, and, uh, but my uncle's house, in, uh, uncle's place in Ohio, there's a loop. Like that loop's about three and a half miles. Said, That's not a problem. We can run that. But, you know, when you're driving in a car, you don't realize how steep it is. It's hilly. Where his land is, it never stops. It's rolling the whole time. So you run it and run it. And I got to those hills. and One of the hills especially, the one side, I mean, it, it gives you a little break where it planes off a little, but then it goes back up. But for almost a mile, it's almost, it's just, it's a steady incline. And I thought, man, how can I run up that? You know how you can run up that? One step at a time. And what I would do, what I did a lot of times, I'd put my head down, I'd just start counting. I'd get my mind off of the top. I'd just start counting, saying one, two, three, four, one, two. And finally, one, you know, a little couple, a couple minutes later, you look up, and, oh, a little bit closer. And finally, before long, you're up the top. You know, your Christian life, if you're faithful, God's faithful. God will help you to grow. God will help you learn the Bible. God will help you. What's, what's your desire today? Point number three. Talked a long time and preached a long time, and we're going to close with this. But we think about this when we look at verse number 31. Let's look at verse number 32. And when they were coming to the sh- ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were with, with uh, that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. If we look at, uh, we look at verse number uh, 30, 30 and 31. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto the, him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I said, well, I said, Peter, there was three reasons why he walked in water. Number one, he was willing to get out of the ship. Number two, he had a little faith. And number three, because Jesus was with him. Amen. There was a pastor that said, he said, he said this, he said, he, and he said, Peter didn't walk on the water once, but he walked on the water twice. And I thought, man. Where in the world did he walk on the water twice? He said he walked out with Jesus and he began to sink. But when Jesus, Jesus grabbed him and held him, guess what? They walked back together. I thought, man, how true that is. Sometimes we see the wind and we see the waves and we see the problems all around us. But I'll tell you, Jesus is there with us. Amen. Hey. Are you willing to let God use your life? 
We need, we need men that will continue to dream big. You know, people dream big to put dollars. They dream big to have a big house. They dream big to have a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house and a nice car. There's nothing wrong with those things. But those things won't last. Those things are just for a temporary time. Those aren't things that will go on forever. Where's those men that will dream big for God? And then let God use their life. Again, it's not what you can do for God. It's not what I can do for God. But it's what God can do through us. Are you willing to give God your life? Brother Jesse.